In this week's update, markets finally start to price in the Fed's shock and awe approach. The cost of living crisis starts to hit spending, but earnings hang in there for now. Well, is this the market's wily coyote moment? The point where the cartoon character looks down and gravity overcomes wishful thinking. The US market fell 2.8% on Friday as investors finally started to seriously price in the Fed's newly hawkish approach to defeating inflation. And other markets have followed suit this week as interest rate fears and COVID cast a long shadow. The penny has dropped that if the Fed is to clamp down on rising prices, it's short of options. It can't solve the supply side of the equation, so the only way forward is demand destruction. And the central bank knows that it probably needs to act quickly if it is to prevent an inflationary mindset becoming baked into wage demands and rising input costs. The conventional wisdom six months ago was that the Fed could return to neutral, around 2.5% interest rates, in a gradual way, with a slow and steady series of quarter-point rate hikes. That's been replaced with more of a shock-and-awe approach. It now looks likely that the next US rate-setting meeting on the 4th of May will deliver a half-percentage-point increase in interest rates, with the same again pencilled in for June. There's now a 90% chance that US interest rates will be 1.5% by June and a 75% chance that they'll be 3% by the end of the year. Just a week ago, that prospect was a tail risk with only a 4% probability. The market has caught up fast with the new Fed dynamic and it has shocked investors. It probably should not have done. To be fair, it would not have been unrealistic not to expect something of a pullback in shares given the tighter monetary environment. Shares in America are still nearly a third above their pre-pandemic level. Investors still have quite a cushion before they start to feel serious pain in their portfolios. People without sizeable investments who are suffering the worst cost of living crisis in decades might be forgiven for not feeling too sorry for those who are lucky enough to be worried about the level of the S&P 500 or the FTSE 100. The equity market is anyway only catching up with the bond market, which is already priced in rapidly rising interest rates. The 10-year Treasury bond yield is within a whisker of 3% now. A lot has been priced in already in fixed income. The question is whether it's enough. That's because rising inflation means that even higher nominal bond yields are not yet taking real inflation-adjusted interest rates far into positive territory. If the Fed is serious about crimping activity in the economy, it needs positive real interest rates. Those will only be achieved if inflation starts to come down or if interest rates and bond yields rise more quickly. So what does all this mean for the stock market? Well, it suggests most importantly that the derating in valuations that has taken place over the last year or so may have a little way to go yet. The multiple of earnings on which shares trade has fallen from 29 to 20 on the basis of last year's earnings and from 23 to 18 on the basis of forecast earnings. A model which compares this price-earnings ratio to bond yields suggests that a forward PE of 15 might be more appropriate. Now, if we move to a 15 times earnings multiple, that obviously puts a lot of pressure on company earnings to keep rising if the stock market is to keep its head above water. The level of the stock market 
is the intersection of earnings and valuations. Well, fortunately, the news is still reasonably good on that corporate results front. With the first quarter earnings season now in full swing, the expectation is that earnings will grow by about 11% this year. With around 100 of the top 500 US companies having already reported, about 80% of them have beaten expectations. There have obviously been some notable exceptions. Netflix saw its shares clobbered last week, falling by more than a third after it announced disappointing subscriber numbers. But the bad news is being offset by some more resilient corners of the market, notably energy stocks, which are benefiting from the rising oil and gas prices. Unsurprisingly, investors are getting more selective and more defensive in this changing environment. An interesting table in the FT this week listed the 20 best and the 20 worst performing stocks in the S&P. Most of the winners are staples companies, food, tobacco, even toilet paper, the things that people buy, whatever is happening in the economy. The losers are largely in technology, which reflects the high valuations in that sector and their vulnerability to rising interest rates. Of course, reality is more nuanced than this all suggests. Tech stocks are also in some ways defensives. Their predictable growth, high margins and pricing power make them attractive to investors during a growth slowdown. So, at some point, the 20 to 30% price declines in that sector might start to look interesting. But the Netflix experience, showing the first decline in subscribers in 10 years, does point to an interesting possibility, which is that in an environment of rising prices, higher mortgage costs and more onerous taxes, consumers will look to cut back their spending in discretionary areas. A subscription to a streaming TV service obviously falls into that category, but so too do many other things like holidays and cars and gym memberships and eating out. The first impact of a cutback in discretionary spending is felt in poorer countries where the rising cost of essentials like food and energy have a bigger impact on what's left over for anything else. But it's an issue in richer countries too. It's estimated that 60% of Americans live from paycheck to paycheck and even the middle classes are feeling the squeeze. A recent survey showed that half of people earning less than $100,000 a year were eating out less and a third were cutting back on driving, travel and regular subscriptions. What might the impact of this be on the economy and the stock market? Well, history suggests it could be significant. The late 1930s is an interesting parallel because it was a period that, like today, represented a hangover after a period of heavy government support for the economy. In the early to mid-1930s, the New Deal attempted to dig America out of the Great Depression. But when the spending stopped later in that decade, the stock market fell by 40% in a matter of months. Now, obviously, the parallels are not exact, but there are some echoes. Rising prices, a reduction in federal spending, rising interest rates, and worries about geopolitical instability. Sound familiar? On the subject of politics, France, at least, seems to have thought about a sharp swing to the right, a la Brexit or Trump presidency, and decided against it. Emmanuel Macron's victory, however, was tight and only made possible by many disenfranchised left-wing voters deciding that he was the lesser of two evils. Many others abstained. It was hardly a ringing endorsement of Macron's centre-right policy platform 
that seems to favour the haves a great deal more than the have-nots in yet another deeply divided country. Any relief at Macron's victory over Marine Le Pen was short-lived as this week got underway. Europe's stocks fell by 1.7% on Monday morning, dragging German and UK shares down with them. They were picking up on Wall Street's slump on Friday, but also on even bigger falls in China, where the lockdown focus is shifting from Shanghai to Beijing. Panic shopping has greeted the prospect of the kind of draconian restrictions already imposed on the country's commercial and financial hub. The CSI 300 index fell 4.9% on Monday and Hong Kong was 3.9% down. In other markets, a flight to safety is evident in currencies where the dollar is strengthening against all rivals. The pound is down at $1.27 and the euro at $1.07. The renminbi has weakened against the dollar and the yen is at a multi-year low versus the US currency. Meanwhile, the oil price, obviously linked to the health of the global economy, has fallen to $102 a barrel despite supply concerns. Please be aware the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may not get back what you invest. This information does not constitute investment advice and should not be used as the basis for any investment decision, nor should it be treated as a recommendation for any investment. Investors should also note that the views expressed may longer be current and may have already been acted upon. Reference to specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell these securities and is included for the purposes of illustration only. Fidelity Personal Investing does not give personal recommendations. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to an authorised financial advisor. This podcast may not be reproduced or circulated without prior permission. It is meant for UK residents and does not constitute an offer or solicitation in any jurisdiction in which it may be unlawful to make such an offer or solicitation. No statements or representations made in this podcast are legally binding on Fidelity or the recipient. Issued by Financial Administration Services Limited, authorised and regulated in the UK by the Financial Conduct Authority. Fidelity, Fidelity International, the Fidelity International logo and F symbol are trademarks of FIL Limited.